Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Please be seated. This morning, I want to tell you the story of how I became a Christian. For whatever reason, whenever I start to tell the story, I get incredibly nervous. So hopefully having notes will make me somewhat coherent. But if it gets weird, I apologize. (laughs) But the reason I want to tell you this story is because 20 or so years ago, someone tossed a seed and it landed on my heart. The seed changed my heart, turned me away from a worldly life, and redirected me, or directed me, towards Christ. I want to tell you this story in part because I think we can live a faithful life. We can be continually casting seeds out for the sake of the gospel, and we can feel as though nothing we've done has made a difference. But we may never know where those seeds which we cast have landed and how the Holy Spirit has used them to foster somebody into a new life. I also want to tell you this so that you understand my heart as a pastor and priest better. When I first became a deacon, or perhaps shortly before that, I spent a weekend at a friend's house. He was also my mentor. We sat on his porch in Walderboro, Maine, chatting about life and hopes and dreams. During the weekend, he looked at me and asked, Ian, why do you want to be a priest? There are few questions that I have known the answer to more intuitively than I knew in that moment. And when I responded was with, what I responded with is what I hope has shaped my life and ministry ever since. I said, I desire to be a priest in order to make and grow Christians. It is my desire because I know the difference Christ has made in my life. And I hope that I can point those who I am called to serve towards him, towards knowing him more intimately, towards having a deeper relationship with the one who came and died for our sins and set us free from the dreadful death of the world. But back to how I met Jesus. There are two things that you need to know about me first. First, I've struggled with depression off and on throughout my whole life. I remember one day when I was seven wondering and thinking perhaps maybe eight will be better. Like other things, this isn't something I talk about too much, but it is something that has propelled me into the arms of Christ again and again. Secondly, I grew up in a nominally grew up nominally Roman Catholic. What this meant for us is that when we were home, my mom and I might go to church. I remember being jealous of my cousins because they were taught the Lord's Prayer. I remember my devout Roman Catholic grandfather being genuinely upset because I had no idea how to do the sign of the cross. Religion was something that we did when it was convenient, but it was not something that was ever discussed very much at home. But now to meeting Jesus. My freshman year of high school, my family and I spent a year traveling. We visited Nova Scotia, the eastern seaboard of the United States, and the Bahamas. It was an incredible gift that my parents gave to me 
I saw the world slowly, experienced its culture outside of Maine, and experienced a different life than almost anybody else in America gets to experience. It was very good. But, and this might be a surprise, it turns out that people change a lot the freshman year of high school. That, that was a joke. Thank you. <laughs> My two closest friends from middle school had changed tremendously. One discovered that doing drugs was fun, and the other discovered that being mean to the dorky kid was rather cathartic for him. And perhaps, if you're not be able to infer it, I should mention that I was that dorky kid in question. That year I returned home was a year of aloneness, of wandering, of sorrow, and of course, deep, dark depression. But something else happened. I applied for a leadership conference. All the sophomores had to apply, so it wasn't anything special, and to be honest, something that I would have done on my own. I did the best to highlight the, my qualities as a leader, though I don't think there were too many, and I dutifully turned in the assignment and then didn't think of it again, until one day I was called to the principal's office with a popular, overachieving, somewhat mean-spirited girl. She liked to pick on me along with my friend. <clears throat> as I contemplate this story, as I contemplated this story this past week, I actually couldn't help but think of that girl and wonder how she is and realize that this is the very reason that we pray for those who have wounded us. Those wounding words that she had thrown at me, those same wounds are the wounds that Christ has tended to tenderly over the past years. Those are the same wounds that made Christ so incredibly irresistible to me. For he stood in such a sharp contrast to her and so many others. It was the wounds that I bore that drove me into his arms. But back to this leadership conference. By the providence of God, I was selected to attend. And providence is really the only reasonable explanation because I certainly didn't even vaguely resemble a leader in high school. I was cripplingly shy, I was nervous around people, and I was a loner. But I attended, and there I met two people who loved Jesus. Until then, the idea of an imminent and loving God was completely foreign to me. The idea of having a relationship with Jesus made no sense. Perhaps I had seen stereotypes on TV. But to know God, to walk with him, that was not a reality that I could imagine. But now I had met people who did. Then summer came, and depression and loneliness came with it. Darkness swept over me as it so often did, and I started to ask those nagging questions. What is the meaning of all this? Is there truth? Is there hope? Those old, familiar questions. But this time I had seen a great light in two beautiful people. I explored and dove into these painful questions. And again and again and again, Jesus made sense. I saw that Jesus is the answer, to quote that Sunday school antidote. My conversion to Christ has always felt like an intellectual ascent, that in him is truth and that he is the truth. 
But now as I look back nearly 20 years later, I think he was beckoning me, calling me to himself. There was something inside me that shifted, and though it has often felt like an intellectual shift, it was spiritual as well. But there wasn't a moment that some people have experienced. I didn't pray a sinner's prayer. But I know that I started August 2001 agnostic and worldly and hopeless. And I ended it a Christian. Yes, still a sinner, but one who is desperately thirsty for the love of that only Christ can quench. And how I drank. Seeds were cast. The sower didn't bother to ask, did it land on good or bad soil? They simply cast it and kept on going, kept sowing, kept shining, kept loving. I was telling some people this story recently, and someone asked me if Christ cured my depression. The answer is no. But it is in Christ that I find solace and I find peace, that those dark and tumultuous storms of my youth are less tumultuous and less dark. And in the end, when they do come, they still act to push me back to my Savior's arms. St. Paul writes about a thorn in his flesh, and he asks God to take it away, and God said, my grace is sufficient. In this, I am and we are reminded of God's grace, that God's grace is sufficient. I share my imperfections with you so that you know that, like you, I am imperfect that I have walked where you are walking, and I hope that it encourages you and helps you to know that you are not alone in all of these, that you have a friend who has walked where you are, has experienced Christ in dark times. My friends, you are not alone. Christ is with you, and you have a Christian family who loves you and is with you. But now what of our seeds and our soil? Just as those seeds were cast and landed on my heart, we so often have no idea where the seeds we cast land. Do they land on hard hearts or soft hearts? These are not our questions to know the answer to. Do the seeds grow and blossom and produce beautiful flowers and more seeds? Perhaps we will never know. We simply cast in obedience. Now, there's more to farming, of course, than simply casting seeds. But this is the immediate call of our gospel lesson today, to cast and cast and cast. Jesus gives us two formulas how to make disciples. First is this morning, where we go along our several callings, doing beautiful work to glorify God and casting seeds of the gospel upon the land. The second, of course, is the Great Commission. We are likewise called to go out making disciples and baptize. To make a disciple is an active and intentional process, but so is casting seeds. As we cast, we worry not what kind of soil they land on, at least not in the immediate time. Christ again and again criticizes his generation for being dull-hearted, for being deaf, for never really understanding what he is teaching. But Christ uses those underdogs, the outsiders, the unsuspected, and the lowly fishermen, and the sinful tax collector, and the dirty prostitute, to reveal to the world the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The same criticism can be made for our generation. We are hard-hearted. Sin has become normalized. We prefer our own way to the way of Christ. 
We do what is right in our own eyes. And not only that, but we celebrate it in culture. But Christ uses the dorky, lonely kid from Maine, the druggies, the outsiders, the arrogant and rude and unkind sinners. He changes their hearts. And in this, he reveals to us, who, who, those of us who will be broken for him, the kingdom of heaven. Cultural undertones haven't changed much in 2,000 years. And as such, the truth of the kingdom of God may remain unknown to the world. But Christ reveals in parables the mysteries for his disciples, and they go to St. Luke, Matthew, and Mark and reveal them to us. On one side, there is the call of the parable to let Christ's light shine throughout our lives, to both an intentional and passive scattering of seeds, to a sharing of gospel with your life, both with words and deeds. In words, know how God has worked in your life and be ready, as I did this morning, to give your testimony, to share this is how God has worked, how God has healed me, how God has softened my heart, being ready to share the light and joy of Christ. But in deeds is as important. If you tell someone God loves them, if you say I'm a Christian, and then you turn around and are rude to your waitress, get visibly mad at the person in traffic, if you are unkind to those around you, this is incongruent with the Christian life. No, the Lord is softening our hearts, and every day we walk with Christ, we grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit manifests in a way to testify that the word to the world of what God has done in our life. And so knowing the right answer is good, but showing the love of Christ to the world around us is better. Loving your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers is as much a part of sowing the seeds that change hearts. But there is a third part to sowing that we mustn't forget. Prayer. It is not our job to soften hearts. Yes, our witness can make a difference in someone's life, but it was God that, who made my heart soft. And it was God who planted the seed, and it was God who tended to the young seedling and nurtured it into a healthy plant. It is God who reforms me and prunes me and calls me back to him. It is God who convicts me and encourages me again and again and again. St. Paul writes about this again. Yes, various people do various things in the growth of the Christian. One plants, another waters, but ultimately it is God that gives the growth. So we pray. Pray for our witness. Pray for those who struggle. Pray for our loved ones who don't know Christ. We are called to pray constantly. But there is a second side to this parable that I want you to think about. It is a reminder of the necessity of tending to the soil of our own hearts. I want to be careful here because we can easily become self-righteous or find ourselves in works righteousness. This is not what the Christian spiritual disciplines are, but they are a call to allow the spirit to reform our hearts. Perhaps, or people have struggled, suggested numerous disciplines. But these are some that are constantly cited 
as being important to our constant growth or central to our growth. There are those which are private, prayer, reading of God's word, and fasting. There are those as the community, the corporate gathering of corporate worship, the participating in the Lord's Supper, and of course, fellowship. Privately, we are called to be in constant prayer. We give our joys and sorrows to God, our hopes and our disappointments. We are called to pray constantly. We are called to be reading God's word daily. To read his word is to hear his voice. It is amazing how often I have had struggles and the word of God redirects me and encourages me and draws me nearer and nearer to him. And it is in reading God's word that we learn his heart. We learn of his character. And it is in reading God's word that the Holy Spirit is given the words to form us. We are called to fast occasionally, but regularly. If you have fallen out of the tradition of fasting, I would encourage you to intentionally observe Anglican's two days of fasting, the first on Ash Wednesday coming up and the second on Good Friday. If you are over 72, you have a dispensation of fasting, but you can still moderate your food intake. Instead of eating big, heavy meals all day, intentionally keep to simple meals. If you are under 72 and healthy, then abstain from all foods for those two days. It might be hard, but it'll be good. In your struggle, you are called back to Christ and learn to depend upon him all the more. In community, the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we are called to gather together to worship. Our time of corporate worship should be a priority for us. It is here that we are bound together, that we learn together, that we sing together, here that our foundations of faith are created. The act of worshiping our Lord as a community is critical to our growth in Christ. We are called to break the body of the bread, which is the body of Christ, and to drink the wine, which is his blood, and we do so regularly. Partaking in the sacrament provides us with a mystical bond to Christ and allows us to experience him in a tangible way that we cannot do otherwise, nor that we can fathom fully. Finally, we are called to fellowship. We meet each other and walk with each other through our trials and hardships. I have a very dear friend at the seminary. We've traveled together through Greek for nearly two years. In other words, we've suffered together. <laughs> On our breaks during class, we now have this habit of taking a quick 10-minute walk around the, the parking lot. Sometimes he shares his hardships. Sometimes it is my turn. It is a good and intimate time of friendship. This past week, as we walked, it was my turn to share. And he said some, but he said something in response that I could have easily been offended or hurt by. But I know that he loves me, and he has earned the right to say harsh things to me. So instead, it was something, it was as though his words had untied a knot in my heart that had been tangled for a very, very long time. It was though that I was freed from something that had plagued me. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to walk with us, to love us in our imperfections, who are willing to be with us in our hurt, who exhort us to a deeper relationship with Christ. 
It is ultimately the Holy Spirit who tends and nurtures to our heart. But developing healthy Christian habits or disciplines draw us closer and closer to Christ. These are not ways to earn salvation. Please don't hear that. But rather that God uses to make our hearts tender for the sake of his kingdom. Again, St. Paul, he writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work, but God is working. As Lent draws near, I would encourage you to reflect upon what you, where you have fallen short. In what ways is your heart hard? Are there Christian disciplines that you need to grow in for the sake of the kingdom? This week, again, I provided another half sheet that you may find helpful in this time of reflection. On one side are the Christian disciplines that I mentioned, and on the other, it asks those questions I just asked. Our prayer is that God may reveal to each and every one of us where our heart needs tending to. It is my hope and prayer that this season of Lent be one of deep intimacy with Christ for all of us, of knowing that he lives and he is with us. For just as he is saving some dorky and formerly lonely kid from Maine and transforming him into his child, Christ is working in all who know him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.